Well, I'm sure at uh, some point uh, you've, you've probably had a, a surgery where you've had to go to the doctors and you know, they've talked about what, uh, what's going on with your body and maybe something was broken, maybe something w- was out of place, there was some sort of infection or disease and, and, and you needed to, to get that corrected. And nobody likes surgery, right? Nobody likes to go under the knife, nobody likes to, to, to have to go under. But, but sometimes it's a necessary part of life to, to keep us healthy and to keep us functioning right, the way that God designed us to. And so what do the doctors do? They bring you in, they talk about it, they, they talk about uh, the procedure and how it's gonna go and why this is important. They, they talk about their experience, they often try to provide that comfort to you to say, you know, it's okay, I've done this before, we've, not, you know, we've never really encountered any problems, right? So they're, they're trying to ease your mind as best as they possibly can so that way you feel comfortable going into the surgery. Well, I could imagine that if you were sitting there in the operating table and you know, you're, you're getting ready to, to go under and you see all the doctors and, and nurses start coming in and, and you know, they're wearing like shorts and a t-shirt, the one's like taking his sunglasses off like he was just out playing golf. Uh, I'm sure that if you saw one coming in and he was like eating this messy sandwich and he had food all over him and he's like wiping his hands all over his shirt and they're like, all right guys, you ready to get started? And they're like fumbling and the tools start falling all over the place and they're like picking them up off the floor and they're like, hey, where's so-and-so? Uh, that's all right, just, just get the guy out there collecting trash. He should be able to help us. I'm sure we probably would not feel very comfortable going into that surgery, right? That probably would make us a little nervous and put us a little on edge uh, about it. But, but there's a reason why doctors do all of that preparation, right? And they come in and they've got the gowns and the masks and the goggles and the hairs are tied back. And you know, they, they pull the tools out of the, the packages, right? Because what they want is for that surgery to go as best as it possibly can go, not only to be fixed, but to make sure that there's not infection and some other disease that might arise up as the, as the way that they go about doing it. Well, as we get into Leviticus, right, we, we've, we've talked about the rituals that have happened, the ritual of how to become holy and worship God, the rituals of how continuing to maintain that with the different feasts in the, in the land. And now we're moving to that next portion of Leviticus, which is looking at the priesthood. And so these priests are, are in some way going to kind of function as our surgeons and our doctors intended to help bring healing to our lives. So we're actually going to be hopping through, again, different chapters today. We're going to be in chapter 8, and then we're also going to be in chapter 21 and chapter 22. Uh, But before we we get further into these chapters, uh, going back to Exodus, remember the the Israelites are wandering through the desert, uh, and God calls Moses right to the mountain. And in Exodus 28, verse 1, He says to him, he says, have Aaron and your brother brought to you from among the Israelites, along with the sons Nadab and Abihu, Eleazar and Ithamar, so they may serve me as priests. So so God says to Moses, look, I want you to get your brother because I'm going to have your brother and his his family are going to serve me as the priests. They're going to be the ones that are going to make the offerings, the sacrifices in the tabernacle. And then later on in Numbers chapter 3, He says, I've taken the Levites from among the Israelites in place of the first male offspring of every Israelite woman. The Levites are mine. So he says, we're going to have two groups of people here. 
Aaron's sons, his family, they're going to be the priests. They're going to make the actual sacrifices. And we're also going to have this other group that's set apart known as the Levites from the tribe of Levi. And their job is to help assist the priest and take care of the tabernacle and all of the items within the tabernacle. So every time you guys have to move, again, it's the job of the Levites to make sure that these things are transported in a way. Because, again, I'm a holy God and I want there to be that level of reverence and holiness for me. So, so God sets these people apart from him to, in order to be able to, to do their job. So now we come to Leviticus 8, where we're going to see the consecration of the actual priest, where he's going to now set these people apart for him and for his actual service. Now, I'm not going to read through all of chapter 8. Uh, I'm just going to kind of give you a synopsis of, of what's happening here. Uh, but in order for the priest to become holy, to be in the presence of God, to bring the offerings, right? They have to go through this process. They have to go through this consecration process. So he says, look, the first thing you guys need to do is you guys need to wash yourselves. Okay, priest, Aaron, your sons, before, before we do anything else, you need to go get a shower, right? It's kind of like if I went to, to work and I was out doing construction and, I, and I've got mud and dirt all over me, you know, I don't come home right away and slip into my pajamas and then slide right into bed. No, I, I get a shower because I don't want everything else to get dirty. So he says, first, you got to wash yourself. Now that you've washed yourself, now I'm going to give you the priestly garments that you're going to put on. And now the high priest had a different set of priestly garments than the rest of the priest because he's going to be distinguished even further from the rest of the priest. So I'm just going to kind of give you an overview of what they then had to, to wear, the high priest. So they would have got a tunic, they would have had a sash, they would have gotten a robe, uh, and then they would have had an ephod. And the ephod was kind of like a vest that was hanging over the outer garments uh, of it. And on the ephod, there was a, a breastplate that contained a set of gems there, and it had 12 gems. And each one of those gems represented and contained the names of one of the 12 tribes of Israel. And along with that, they had what was known as the Urim and the Thummim. And these were stones that the high priest would use and he would put in a little pouch in the ephod. And so whenever they wanted to know the will of God, he basically would go into his ephod, you know, spending some time in prayer, I'm sure, and going in and pulling out a stone. And that stone would help the high priest distinguish what was the will for the rest of Israel, right? So if, if it was, hey, do we go into battle? He goes into his pouch and he finds it. And he's like, you know, answer says yes. All right, guys, God's told us to go ahead and we're going to go forward. And this is, this is what we're going to do. And then on top of that, he had a turban that was placed on his head. And on that was a gold plate. So it actually was a gold plate that sat right on the forehead. And it said, holy to the Lord. Okay. So the high priest has put on all of the priestly garments now. He, he's washed himself. He's put on the priestly garments. So now Moses comes out and he starts to sprinkle the tabernacle with, with anointing oil. And then he comes out and then he sprinkles the priest with anointing oil. Right? So he, he, he's getting the place ready. He's getting the high priest and the priest ready for being able to do their job. And now that he's sanctified it, Moses has Aaron and his sons bring the sacrifice forward. And just like all the other ones, they're placing their hands on the head of the animal. Again, that transfer of power, that identity piece. And then those animals are sacrificed. 
And after they've taken the sacrifice of the animals, they take the blood. He goes in and he sprinkles the tabernacle and then he sprinkles the priest. And what's interesting is with Aaron, the high priest, he takes some blood and he puts it on his right earlobe. He puts it on his right thumb and he puts it on his right big toe. Okay, and I'll come back to that later. So then for seven days, these priests were to stay in the tabernacle of God. They were to eat of the holy food, but they were to remain in the presence of God for those seven days. And then after that, essentially, they come out and God's like, okay, now you've been made holy. Now you are able to serve me in my actual presence. So that's chapter eight. So, so he's prepared them for holiness. Now we flipped over to chapters 21 and 22 because he says, now that you've been made holy priests, I now need you to live in a certain way to maintain that holiness. So if we flip over to 21 and, and 22, again, I'm not going to read all of these. Again, I'm just going to kind of chunk these and, and give you an idea of what's happening here. Uh, but in 21, verses 1 through 15, he lays out some general rules for the priest about how to maintain that actual holiness. And he says, look, there, there's a couple things you need to do here. Uh, if somebody in your family, you know, if somebody dies, you can't touch the body. OK, you're not allowed to, to touch the body in that case. Uh, and if somebody does die, uh, unless it's a close relative, if somebody dies, listen, I don't want you to I don't want you to shave your heads. I don't want you to trim off the edges of your beards. I don't want you to go around ripping your clothes and doing all of these other pieces uh, to, to exemplify that you're in mourning. OK, you have to maintain a different standard uh, than what typically is done for that. And then if you go get married. He says, look, you can't marry a prostitute. You can't marry a woman that's been divorced or you can't marry a woman that has also been a widow. OK, you have to go out and you have to basically go out and find a virgin woman. And that is who you are allowed to marry. And he says, look, and if your daughter, if your daughter goes out and commits an act of, of prostitution, if she gives herself unholy to someone else, she's going to have to pay the consequences for that. She's going to have to die and she's going to be burned to death. Okay, now, again, we, we hear a lot of these things and we think, wow, this sounds really harsh of what God is doing. Well, part of this, again, is a lot of these things that they're being commanded not to do are what the pagans would associate themselves in doing. So, again, he's trying to set them apart and he says, look, don't act like the actual pagans in regards to that. And then in verses 16 through 22, he talks about the actual physical nature of what the priests were actually to be like. And in, in, in verse 17, he says to Aaron, for the generations to come, none of your descendants who has a defect may come near to offer the food for God. And then he goes on and he gives various different types. He says, look, if they're blind, if they have a crippled foot, if they're a hunchback, if there's dwarfism, if there's a rash or disease, he said, they're not able to come into my presence and make the offering to me. Now, again, let's not be upset because what God is not saying here is that he's devaluing those people. Because if we read further in that section, those individuals were still allowed to eat the holy food. OK, so again, he's not saying there's anything wrong with them as individuals and their worth. He's trying to make a bigger purpose. And if we look in Scripture, 
All throughout scripture, God cares for those individuals, right? We, we talk about uh, the way that David cared for Jonathan's son, Mephibosheth, who had a, a crippled foot. Uh, we look at the, the New Testament where Christ was healing the blind and, and the sick and the lame. Okay, so understand that again, God is trying to get at something bigger here than just what we may be thinking on, on the surface. And then in 22, he continues with this idea about the need for the priest to be ceremonially clean. And he says, look, in in verse 2 of 22, he says, They are to treat the sacred offerings that they dedicate to me with respect. Meaning, if a priest had made himself unclean, let's say he he came in contact with a dead body, he can't come before the throne of God and then make that offering because God would have said, no, 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 what are you doing? That's disrespectful. You, you need to clean yourself before you come back into my presence. And so what they would typically have to do is they'd have to wash themselves and then they'd have to wait until the evening time. Then they would have been declared clean again and then they could have gone on and made the actual offering. So if there was some sort of skin disease or, or some sort of discharge or anything that caused them to be unclean, they had to wait and be washed and made holy before, again, they can come into the presence of God. And then the last part, 10 through 16 and 22, he's talking about the food that's been made holy. And he says, look, you have the right to eat the holy food that offerings were made and your family has a right to eat of that. But here's the thing. If anybody eats of that holy food that's not part of your family, he says in verse 14, Anyone who eats a sacred offering by mistake must make restitution to the priest for the offering and add a fifth of the value to it. So if you ate a holy offering you weren't supposed to, you essentially had to pay that back on top of a fifth of whatever it was worth, right? So if it's $100, you owe basically got $120 because you did something that you weren't supposed to do. So these are the laws that he sets up. He says, this is how you are holy, and now this is how you are to live in that holiness as an actual priest who is designed to serve me. So what's the purpose of all this again, right? Again, these seem very strange and foreign to us, but again, God has purpose in what he's trying to do. So if we go back to the clothes for a moment, what is it with these priestly garments? Why is it that God wants them to put on all of these fancy clothes and especially the high priest? Well, it's a preparation. Think of it like a wedding. What is a wedding? It's really a change in status. You go from single to married. And and so what do we do at a wedding? Well, we send out invitations and we say, save the date. And we, 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 we go out and we, we make plans for, for flowers and we get table arrangements. And we, we go out and we find a special venue and, and, and we, we get a DJ, we get a photographer because we don't want to miss any part of this. And, and, and we, get, we get it catered, we get really good food. And then we invite all of our friends and family to come and say, look, we are going to celebrate this change of status. Well, it, it's, it's the same thing that's kind of going on with the priest, right? That, that God invites the nation of Israel and he says, look, you're all going to come and be a witness to this event. And they're going to put on their best. 
because they're going to come before me. And just like in a wedding, what does the groom and the bride do? They go out and they get the tux and she gets the real, real beautiful white dress. And that white dress has been traditionally a symbol of purity that now again as they enter into that relationship. And that's what God is asking of the priest here. He says, I'm looking for purity. I'm looking for holiness. I'm looking for you to be set apart to do the job that I need you to do. And so they're washed and they're purified. And God sets them up as a barrier between us and him. Because again, our sin and our filth has tainted that relationship with God. And God says, nobody can just freely walk into my presence. But I want that to happen. So what has to happen is there has to be some sort of mediator to stand in the gap between us and God that is able to then bring that holiness to us. And so they've been set apart for a special ceremony. And he's required these men to be perfect so that they could then bring holiness to us. But again, now that they've been deemed holy, he says, it's just not enough. He says, you've got to continue in that holiness because you're going to keep serving me. And I can't have you serving me if you're walking around in filth and trash and sin, just like every other pagan around you. You need to maintain that standard of holiness. And so then that's what 21 and 22 becomes. Again, don't act like the pagans around you. I'm setting you apart from those other nations. And so that's why he says, when you get married, he says, you can't have any sort of marriage that has any sort of sense of defilement in that sense. He says, I want purity. That's why I want you to marry the virgin. And that's why your family has to remain pure. Because, see, if something happens to your family, well, your family is no longer holy. And that stain and that sin can get brought over to you. And when he's talking about the, the physical nature of the priest and, again, those deformities, again, he, he's not saying, I, I, I don't like or devalue these people. What I'm trying to do is give you a visible sign for you to understand this concept of holiness. And when they come to the altar and they sacrifice, God says, there better not be anything in your life that is going to taint the offering to me. Do you understand that? That when you bring this offering, if there's anything about you that has happened in your life that you need to get right, then you need to go and do it because I will not tolerate any sort of defilement that you bring to me. And so then that was that sign to the priest to say, listen, we gotta keep our distance from the world. We gotta keep that separation to make sure that we don't ourselves become sinful. And the same applied to the family as well, that the family could eat of that. But again, if that holiness went outside that holy family, then that was a violation of what God had said. Because see, there's, there's a ripple effect to our lives. That if we live in sin, 
That sin contaminates and it pollutes and it destroys everything around us. There's a reason why God kept us at arm's length. You know, when we we go back through these, these various verses here, 21 verse 6, it says, They must be holy to their God and must not profane the name of their God. He's talking about the priests. He says they, they have to live holy because they can't do anything that's going to make my name unholy. I will not stand for that. And in 21, 23, he says they must not go near the curtain or approach the altar and desecrate my sanctuary. Again, you, you, can't, you can't bring sin and what is unholy into the place that I dwell. I will not tolerate that. And if you do that, priests, if you do that, then what's going to happen? 22.16. He says, allowing them to eat of sacred offerings and so bring upon them guilt requiring payment. And then 22.9, the priests are to keep my requirements so that they do not become guilty and die. See, here's the deal. I'm setting you apart. I'm setting you apart to be different. I'm setting you apart to be holy. And if you violate, desecrate, if you profane my name or my tabernacle or anything that has to deal with me, you are going to be guilty and that guilt is going to bring death upon you. That is how serious I am about the nature of my holiness. And I will not be defiled by the way that you live. But we also know that God is good, right? And he is love. And he is merciful and he's gracious. And he's forgiving. And he says, though I've set a standard all the way up here that you can't attain on your own, I desire that relationship with you. And so then of the priests, he says, look, just do what I ask and you won't die. That if you are holy, you are able to come into my presence and you were able to make the sacrifices on behalf of the people and I will forgive the people for what they have done wrong. And I will be their people and they will be my God. But priest, if, if you don't do your job, not only will you, but the nation itself will face death. So the priests are God's holy representatives between God and man. And that holiness, again, was was all to to show us that 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 impurity of our sin would be destroyed by his holiness and we could be back into a relationship with him. And so what made them holy, it was the fact that, again, God had had said to them, if you wash yourselves and you put on the holy clothes and and you sprinkle with the holy anointing oil, and if you make the holy sacrifices, and if I put the holy blood on you and you remain in my holy presence, then you will be holy. And so that holiness, again, wasn't just so they could be in the presence of God. But remember how he started Exodus? Or or I should say when he brings Moses to the the mountain in Exodus. Exodus 19. It says, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all of the nations you will be my treasured possession. And although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you are to speak to the Israelites. 
See, again, because of that holiness, the Israelites could live in the presence and the blessing of God. But he said, look, that holiness is not just designed for you. You're to go out into the world and you are to share with the world what that holiness looks like. So those who are not holy can also become holy and be in my presence and be blessed and loved by me. And that's what he says to the Israelites. But when we come to the New Testament, we see the very same thing. First Peter 2. He's speaking to the people of God. He's speaking to the church now. And he says, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. What has God called the church to do? He's calling the church to be the priesthood. He said, I, I'm calling you out. I'm calling you to be the salt and light of this world. I, I, I'm calling you to be holy, and I'm calling you to walk in that holiness. Because when you live out of that holiness... And you walk in it on a day in and day out basis. You are communicating to the world in which you live of who a holy God is. Because you are people that didn't deserve mercy and I gave it to you. And guess what? There are other people out there who do not yet have that mercy who I desire to give it to. And I'm putting you in their path to extend that mercy to them in the name of Jesus Christ. So let's stop for a moment here and now consider that responsibility. You know, when, when Aaron was sacrificing that first time to be made holy, again, they put the blood on his earlobe and on his thumb and on his big toe. One commentator said it this way. He said, with the ear, the priest must at all times hearken to the holy voice of God. The hand, because he must execute God's commands and priestly functions. And the foot, because he must walk rightly and holy. See, by putting the blood there, what it was was a holy commitment to God. And he said, not only is this a holy commitment... But this is an everlasting commitment between me and you. And not only is this an everlasting holy commitment, but this is a commitment that takes everything about you. From head to toe, your entire life is to be set apart for my purpose. So think about that. That is what God is calling you to do with that holiness. He's applying his blood upon you and saying, I need you to live holy lives. Because see, here's the thing. Just like the Israelites, it's the same for us. That if we do not live lives of holiness and we live in sin, 
that sin is going to ripple out from us. And the people that we come in contact, they're not going to see a holy God, but they're going to see a God that is stained and marred with our sins and think, that is the God you're telling me about? There is nothing different about your life that draws me to that presence. You're a jerk just like everyone else. You're just as greedy like everyone else. Boy, the things that come out of your mouth are so inappropriate. I can't believe you're telling me that there is a holy God that exists. Do we take seriously the damage that we do to the message of the gospel when we do not live in a manner that is worthy of God? When we casually disregard and disrespect his nature, that's what we're communicating to the world, that our God is not to be valued and worthy of praise. You know, in the beginning, again, I mentioned that these priests are, are, are like the doctors and the surgeons in our lives. They're, they're designed to bring us to a place of, of healing, right? And that, that, again, was the job of, of, of the priesthood. It was to stand in the gap, to, 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 to pray on our behalf and, and to, to, to atone on our behalf, to offer the sacrifices on our behalf, that God would accept them and that God would forgive us. But you know what? Those priests and that high priest needed to sacrifice for himself as well. Because as much as they were in the presence of God, they were never completely holy. And they could never completely heal the way that Jesus Christ could. And God desiring to completely restore us completely once and for all, he sends Jesus Christ to be the great physician for us. Hebrews 10. And by that will we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties. Again and again, he offers the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when this priest had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. And since that time, he awaits for his enemies to be made his footstool. For by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. See, we don't have to put on priestly garments anymore. We don't have to make sacrifices anymore. I, I don't have to stand in a holy tabernacle or sprinkle blood or anointing oil anymore because I have been made holy because Christ went to the cross and was our ultimate sacrifice. That is now why we are holy. And because we have been forgiven because we have been redeemed, because we have been offered grace and forgiveness and mercy and unconditional goodness and love from God, we need to walk in that holiness. Because again, holiness had a price and that price was the blood of Christ. And that is to never be taken lightly. And we have been given freedom that has been given freely to us. And so as a church, we are that priesthood. And we are to walk holy and we are to offer that freedom to an unholy world. That by the way that we live, they would see the goodness 
of a God who died for us. Let's pray. Lord, you set lofty standards. And we, we can be very casual about you. We can, we can live in the joy and the blessing and say, God, thank you for saving us. And then at the very next moment, we can walk out that door and profane your name by the things that we say and the way that we act and the things that we think. So, Lord, I pray that this is a challenge to our heart for us to realize what it is that you've required. And, Lord, what it required, again, was a great cost, the cost of your life. But, Lord, there is blessing in living out of holiness. And, Lord, I pray that as we live out of holiness, I pray for the unbelieving world that does not know you, that will see you through us, that they will see that we are a nation set apart, that we are a group of men and women who love you and do not love the world the way this world loves it. Lord, I pray that there would be men and women who will come to proclaim you as Lord and Savior. And as Ted talked earlier, Lord, we, we, we should be praying for those people who we don't even know who the names are right now. But along with that prayer, Father, let us be in a relationship with you that is so intent, that is so in love with you, that every part of our lives is a holy commitment to you. And Lord, when we mess up, Thank you that we are reminded that we are forgiven by the blood of Christ. Amen.